Well, good morning again. We're glad you're here. It's time for our memory verse. If you've not been with us in Hebrews, we're starting to try to put together a memory verse as part of this series. That is one of the key verses in all of Hebrews. It's three verses. It's 14, 15, and 16 of chapter 4 in Hebrews. And we'll go through that in just a second. It's at the top of the sermon outline here, your sermon notes outline here. There's not a whole lot of outline, but there's plenty of room there for notes. And those are on the sides of the pews. If you don't yet have those, please go ahead and pass those down. So let's talk about our memory verse here. This is the second part of the memory verse. Last time we memorized that first part of verse 14, and they'll put it up on the screen here for us. That first part was that first phrase in in verse 14, since then we have a great high priest. And then the part for today we're memorizing is who has passed through the heavens. So let's say that part for today three times. Number one, who has passed through the heavens. Number two, who has passed through the heavens. Number three, who has passed through the heavens. Very well done. So let's try that first whole part of verse 14 here together. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Well done. We'll go ahead and, uh, and each week we'll just add a little bit of that phrase because uh, Bible memory is something that's important for us to, to regularly make happen for us so that the Word is in our hearts. We're glad you're with us to study Hebrews today. I want to do a little recap for just a few minutes of where we've come in this series. While we're at it, by the way, I want to remind you of the challenge we've sort of laid out during Hebrews to read through all of Hebrews once a week in between Sundays. If you do that once a week in between Sundays, it takes about 40 to 45 minutes for me, and I'm a kind of slowish reader. If you do that once a week, you'll start to get a feel for what Hebrews is about. And and each week as you come, and and I'm talking about particular things going on in Hebrews, you'll think, oh, yeah, that sounds like chapter 12 later, because we're going to talk about that. So, so the author in Hebrews will... So you'll, you'll start to make those connections and see some of the flow of thought in the book. So I'd like to remind you to, to take up that challenge and, and once a week to read through all of Hebrews. So let's recap where we've, where we've come here. Our big idea for the whole series is that Jesus is superior so that we can follow him with passion. That's the first part we want to remind ourselves of. It's at the top of the outline. Jesus is superior to blank, name it. So you can follow him with passion. He is superior to anything. If you'll remember in week one, we talked about Jesus as the superior communication of God's revelation because of his person and his work. That is who he is and what he did. That is, when Jesus came, it capped off a long tradition of God's speech, of God speaking to his people. Hebrews 1.1 starts out by saying, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, that is now, that is today, in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son. It is fundamental about the Christian faith that God speaks. The question is whether we're listening. Because the preacher in Hebrews is concerned that many are hearing different voices 
and following them with too great a fervor and commitment. So in the next section, in week 2, in verses 5 through 14 of chapter 1, if you remember, we talked about establishing Christ's superiority even further by showing how he is a better voice for God's truth than angels. Even though angels are cool, they're, they're heavenly messengers, they're mysterious, they're just, they're just side dishes compared to the main dish of Christ. Two weeks ago, at the beginning of chapter 4, Hebrews warned us that because we have this long tradition of faithful witness to God's voice, we must pay closer attention. In fact, it says we must pay much closer attention lest we drift. Hebrews knows that even as believers, we are people whose sin obscures our reality. We walk through life with blinders sometimes, unaware of the creep of worldly values into our hearts. And then last week, Tommy did a great job of teaching about how Jesus, as a human, was, was in a sense, he condescended to become lower than angels so that we could know him. That is, Jesus was fully human such that we would be able to have that demonstration of God's speech, his message, his voice to us in a person. We talked about propitiation last week, that cool, fancy theological word. It's in chapter 2 of Hebrews here, verse 17. Chapter 2, verse 17, it says this, Therefore, he, that is Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make, here's that word, propitiation for the sins of the people. Many, many different uh, translations will say atonement, which is the same kind of idea. But I think propitiation is a good word for us to use. Because that means Jesus satisfied God's righteous wrath and anger against our sin. In the person of Jesus on the cross, he made propitiation for our sin. It's an important doctrine for us to know as believers and for the rest of our time in Hebrews. It's only because Jesus has satisfied God's wrath and his righteous anger against sin that you and I can have relationship with him. And that sort of brings us up to where we are here in Hebrews 3 today. So let's go ahead and pray. Lord God, we, we are here because we want to hear your voice. We know that long ago, in many different kinds of ways, you spoke to us through those who have gone before, through prophets, through angels as messengers, through even Moses, the great establisher of the Jewish tradition of your speaking. Lord, even in the people we know around us, you have spoken. But Father, we want to be attentive to your speech to us through the Holy Spirit that you have given to us as a comforter and as a guide to continue to tell us how to have relationship with you in meaningful ways. So today, Father, we ask that we would be humble people under the authority of your word as you speak to us about what it means to enter your rest. To enter a rest 
that is satisfying for us, not just in the future yet to come, but in the here and now. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Well, there they stood. There they stood on the precipice of promise. They were on the verge, on the verge of something, something huge for them. Sort of just waiting what to do next. Waiting for instructions. They were there, the people of God, on the verge, looking out over the vast wilderness at a place we call Kadesh Barnea. They were waiting for the news. This moment had been coming for years and years. There had been talk of this moment for a long, long time. Promises had been made. Many of them were waiting with anticipation and excitement and prayer and planning. And so they were sort of on edge, excited because they had been in a place of oppression for years and years. And here was the promise of God's provision in a place of rest, a place of, of shalom, of peace, where they could enjoy life with God and with one another. You see, they had been, they'd been taken from their homeland. They'd been enslaved by a foreign ruler. They had experienced for too long a life of unrest and of conflict. And they thought, they thought they were ready to move forward. But what they assumed would be good news from the spies that they had sent out to scout the land turned out to be words of fear. And now the people were scared. They were anxious. They were tempted now to take matters into their own hands. In Numbers 13 and 14, where we'll be here for just a couple minutes, in Numbers 13 and 14, we find the people of God on the verge of rest and shalom, that promised land, waiting for 40 days for the report from the spies who were sent out to survey the land for them. So 10, as you know, 10 were bad and 2 were good. 10 of the 12 spies came back with these words from Numbers, the 13th chapter, verse 27. It says this, They told him, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. They brought back a huge cluster of grapes that was carried on a pole between two men. However, they continued, however can be a fateful and tragic word for those called to follow God. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are, are fortified and very large, and besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites are there. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites are up in the hills. And the Canaanites are all along the coast, all along the sea. And well, since majority rules, when you put more stock in human power than in God's provision, the people freaked out. They listened to the however part of the ten spies' report. But Caleb, Caleb, he quieted the people who were getting all of their bowels in an uproar, and he tried to speak some sense into them in verse 30 here in Numbers 13. He said, let's go. Let's go at once to take the land, he said, 
We can certainly conquer it. Caleb stands up and he says, wait, wait, let's do this. God's brought us this far. He's taken down Pharaoh, the greatest power in the world. We've escaped slavery and oppression. We're seeing the fruit of this good land with our own eyes. Let's keep moving forward. But the people rebelled. Scripture says they raised a loud cry and they they wept all night. They grumbled against Moses and Aaron, their leaders. They began to try to choose new leaders who would do what they wanted and take them back to Egypt. In Numbers 14 now, verses 2 to 4, we see this. This is their response. They say, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt. Or would that we had died in this wilderness Why is this Lord bringing us into the land to fall by the sword? Verse 3, our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And verse 4, they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Listen carefully to what they're saying, friends. Listen carefully to the tenor of their cries. Can you hear the echoes of their words in your own life? Oh, I'd I'd rather die than go through this trial. Why is the Lord doing this to me? Our families will be at risk. Wouldn't it be better and, and safer for us to just stay home? Well, actually, yes. Yes, it would. It would be safer to stay home. That is, if the goal is keeping one's body and earthly stuff and even family physically intact, then then yes, if security is your goal, it's safer to stay home. The crux for us, friends, as American Christians in 2011, who have everything we could possibly need and everything we possibly don't need, the crux for us is this. If we do that, if we become safe, fat cat Christians who are unwilling to sacrifice ourselves and undergo hard things, we run the risk of being the ones that Jesus warns when he says in Luke 9:25, For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? His soul. The crazy thing about following Jesus is that it is in losing our lives, it is exactly in the process of abandoning our supposed right to ourselves that we find true life in Christ. The scary part, according to Hebrews, is that many of us don't even know it. But we are running the risk of gaining things in the short term and losing our relationship with God and our souls in the long term that we may not have even had in the first place. I fear this for myself, and I fear it for you, and I fear it for the American church at large today. Many of us have become exactly like the Israelites, whose promiscuous love affair with comfort and security and our control... (laughs) turns us into wimps who long for Egypt. 
Well, it turns out that the report from the ten spies was more than just being scared of people. They said there were giants in the land. It was really not about being scared of people, but a lack of faith in God's promises. It was a lack of obedience to follow God's leading and to trust where he was taking them. And it resulted in God forcing them to wander in the desert for 40 years before they got to enter the promised land. Numbers 14, 21 to 23 says this, But truly, this is God speaking, But truly as I live, and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice, none of them shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who despise me shall see it. This this scene in Numbers, where the Israelites rebelled against God and they turned their back to go back to Egypt, this forms the backdrop for our passage here in Hebrews today. In verse 7 of chapter 3 of Hebrews, the preacher begins to quote Psalm 95, 7-11. Psalm 95 was a well-known song for the Jews. There is evidence that it was regularly quoted and even sung at the beginning of the worship service to act as a warning to the Jews to remain faithful. It's saying, don't do what your previous forefathers did. Remain faithful. So the preacher in Hebrews is is, is citing this, this passage in Psalm Because they've heard that. They know that tune. They're familiar with this message because it harkens back to this scene in Numbers where the Israelites rebelled. It says this, Hebrews 3, verse 7. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Today, friends, while there's still time, while while the offer still stands, Hebrews is telling us, don't rebel against God's provision like they did in the wilderness. It would be a fearful, a a terrible thing to have said of us, they always go astray in their heart. Which is why Hebrews says this in verse 12, chapter 3, Take care, brothers. Be diligent, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Don't be like the Israelites, he's saying. The negative example here in Hebrews 3 and Psalm 95. Don't be like them, but remain faithful and remain obedient to God's provision. Verse 19 here in chapter 3 sums up this whole passage. And it says, So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Unable to enter the promised land and God's rest 
that he was wanting to provide for them right then and there had they been faithful. Hebrews here is making a connection between not entering the promised land and not entering what we're calling God's rest because of disobedience. Entering God's rest is what we're going to talk about for the rest of our time here today. What is this What is this rest that's talked about here? It sounds appealing, if you ask me. Anybody else here could use a little rest? Anybody else here had a week where you're thinking, goodness sakes, I could use a good word to make me feel some confidence in who I am and where I am with the Lord? Is that the kind of rest that we need? Absolutely. The word rest is used 12 times in the book of Hebrews, every single time in this passage. Rest in God for us today. Rest in God is an invitation to live in confidence that His provision is enough for us and that we can't add anything else. Rest in God is an invitation to live in the today the here and now, while there's still time, in the confidence that His provision is enough for us and there's nothing to that that we can add. It is experiencing peace and shalom when your circumstances around you are frustrating, are impossible, feel like a weight and a burden that you cannot carry. Congratulations, you finally get it. You can't. Rest means you know that that's how life's going to be, that circumstances are hard, and rest means the confidence to live with God's provision as the only thing that we need, despite the clamor of the world, despite the frustrations of our work week, despite relationships that don't work right, despite all of those things in our lives around us that make life hard. Rest in God means living out of a passionate and a loving relationship with God as a response instead of trying to justify yourself into a relationship with God as the condition for your acceptance. If you're taking notes, that'd be a good one. That's at the crux theologically of what we're talking about today. This is what rest is. Rest in God is living out of a passionate and loving relationship with God as a response instead of trying to justify yourself into a relationship with God as the condition for your acceptance. Friends, rest is an invitation that can only be accepted and obtained through faith and entered into by faith. That's how he, that's how he made it. That's how he set it up for us. No amount of spiritual striving on our parts in our humanity can take the place of faith. It is simply to believe God and to take Him at His revealed word to me and to go on with Him forevermore. Rest in God means He alone is enough. But the, the problem for us is that so so many of us do not know 
that kind of ongoing, satisfying, contented relationship with God. So many of us have been taught a busy, frenetic, frantic, do-it-yourself spiritual standard where the good old Protestant work ethic of picking yourself up by your bootstraps produces people who end up not needing God. Rest is freedom from whatever worries or disturbs you. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great to have that kind of freedom? Many, many of us, we cannot rest mentally and emotionally because we are so easily annoyed, so easily upset. Every little nuisance seems to upset us and we always feel hassled. Rest isn't freedom from hassle. Rest isn't freedom from nuisances. It's freedom from being easily bothered by them. It's an inward quietness and composure. One preacher says, to enter God's rest means to be at peace with God, to possess the perfect peace He gives. It means to be free from guilt and even unnecessary feelings of guilt. It means freedom from worry about sin because sin is forgiven. God's rest is the end of legalistic works and the experience of peace in the total forgiveness of God. So, so many of us do not know that kind of rest. We don't know God's rest for some of us because we're in love with our own control. You see, sometimes we want the benefits of following God, but, but not the hard parts that require trust and faith. God's testing in the wilderness is where we live, people. But we want the benefits without the hard parts. So often for us, in our churchianity. It's why we only go on short-term mission trips to difficult places. Because we know it's temporary. We know we'll come home to our warm showers, our clean water, and our comfortable beds. It's why we spend our money on supporting others to do the work of missions and evangelism for us because we know we couldn't possibly see ourselves answering that same call to communicate the gospel in another land. We hire people to do the work of ministry for us because ministry with people is messy and it's hard. It's easier to have somebody else do it for us instead of getting our hands dirty. Our churches are filled with weak and wimpy Christians who know little of spiritual power and victory over sin. Why? Because we're in love with Egypt. And the crux for us is that when we live, when we live safe lives that, that pine for Egypt, that are tied to the things of this world, these entanglements for us, when we live those kinds of safe lives, we run the risk 
like the Israelites, at the precipice of God's promises, we run the risk of failing to trust God's provision and to enter the rest he's offering. This is ultimately a failure for us as Christians to trust in what Tommy talked about last week as the propitiatory sacrifice that Christ accomplished on the cross for us. Rest for us means that my unbroken fellowship with God made possible by His sacrifice is enough for me for every moment. doesn't matter what somebody says. It doesn't matter what's going on around me. It's living in the confidence of knowing that Christ's propitiatory sacrifice is anything and everything you and I will ever need. And we can be okay with that and live out of that kind of confidence. I love this verse in Matthew. It's Jesus speaking. It's Matthew, the 11th chapter. Verses 28 and 29. He says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus says, come to me. That's a personal invitation. He's saying, trust me. Not your strivings, not your control, not your love of the things that we try to manipulate so that we feel comfortable and secure. He's saying comfort, security, peace, all of those kinds of things are offered only in me because I will give that to you. I will accomplish it for you. Nothing else can. Not going to Egypt. So friends, this week, may we become more and more the kinds of people who live out of that kind of confidence that Christ does his work for us in ways that we could never add one iota to. So stop. Stop it. Stop trying to add everything that we can't. And live at peace, at rest, knowing that whatever's going on at work, and in your family, in relationships that are hard, that all that brokenness that we see in our world will someday cease because we will enter the forever rest, the forever Sabbath rest that Christ offers for us. Let's stand and sing. We want to make a similar kind of invitation for you. If, if you're a baptized believer in Christ and you're looking for a church home, we'd love to have you as a member here at First Christian Church. Or if you'd like to say, I want to enter that kind of rest for the first time because I've not known it, that kind of rest that, that frees me from that spiritual striving that I know I can't take care of myself. If you want to say that publicly in the waters of baptism, we'd like to invite you as we sing.